Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center. We're in Random Lake, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us here today on this September 17th, 2020 for our Congregation at Prayer. We continue our catechesis in both, well, hearing as we read through Hebrews, um, but in parallel, um, considering the institution of the priesthood in Leviticus. We'll be in Leviticus chapter 9 today. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, we say our memory verse for this week. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Mark 10, verses 7 through 9. Our psalm for this week is continuation of Psalm 89, beginning in verse 38. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes, and you have made his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. I noted yesterday that this psalm is a clear confession, uh, whether the psalmist knew it or not, a clear confession of really Holy Week, our Lord's suffering and death, his crucifixion. Um, you'll note too that the language of the psalm is that of battle. And I was musing upon this as I was riding uh, my bicycle this morning, going for a ride, how most of the language of the modern church refers to like the Christian life as in terms of, of building and of beauty and of virtue and of duty. Um, but we've missed actually the primary way that, say, St. Paul describes it, and actually the psalmist often describes 
uh, our life is that of a battle, and we are warriors. And then we see how in Christ we have kind of the antitype of the warrior, where he lays down his weapons um, and he suffers everything in order to, to save us, to save us from our enemies. So you have that, that battle, that warfare language. Um, one of Mark catechumens last night mentioned that in studying Pentecost, that Peter's sermon describes, well, that the sermon itself actually is, is brutal in the way that he says, you crucified your Lord, right? But again, it's that battle language. It's that um, aggressive language. And the way that sin isn't just, what do you want to say, just passive, aggressive, um, but it's actually active aggression against God and against his word. All right. Our first reading is from Hebrews chapter 7. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. There ends the reading. And our reading for catechesis is from Leviticus chapter 9. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering, without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf, and a lamb, both of the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering. Also a bull and a ram as peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. So, when they had brought uh, what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, oh, so they brought, excuse me, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has, or which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them, as the Lord commanded. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat, the kidneys, and the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering he burned on the altar, 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned with fire outside the camp. And he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar. Then they presented the burnt offering to him, with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. All right. Some catechesis. On what day did Moses summon Aaron? See that right at the top there? It's on the eighth day. What's the significance of the eighth day? I think we've talked about this before. Well, how many days did the Lord take to create the heavens and the earth? Seven. So the eighth day is the beginning of a new week, right? Or a new creation. Um, think of uh, St. Peter in his baptismal homily, 1 Peter 3. Um, for Christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and the powers having been made subject to him. So you note there that Peter, um, St. Peter refers to baptism, uh, well, actually the, t- the flood being a type of baptism, that is, eight souls being saved in water. So uh, we've mentioned this before, but baptismal fonts are historically eight-sided for this reason. And it refers then to the new week, the new creation. What was Aaron to present before the Lord here for himself? Now it says a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering, both without blemish or defect. So Aaron, in order to serve serve the people with God's mercy, he too must be atoned for, of course. This may be where the uh, tradition, um, and I think it's an edifying one, where the pastor uh, is communed first by the Lord, uh, receiving body and blood before he then communes others. That's where that, that practice came for. Um, sometimes people call it like self-communion. I, that's not helpful because it's the Lord who gives us his body and blood in the sacrament. It doesn't matter whose hand it comes from, even from the priest's own hand, pastor's own hand into his own mouth. <laughs> Either way. Uh, What were the Israelites to present? So this is the nation. Verse 3, you have a male goat or a kid of the goats as a sin offering. 
You have a calf and a lamb, both yearlings, right? As a burnt offering. You have an, let's see, an uh, ox or a bull and a ram, right? As a peace or fellowship offering. And then you have a grain offering mixed with oil. What would appear to the Israelites in connection with their offerings? You see it in verse 6. The glory of the Lord will appear to you. See it again in verse 23. Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. How is this related to the life of Jesus, our high priest? Well, maybe I'll give you one example. Uh, John chapter 12. Then Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be, there it is, glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So the Son of Man will be glorified. He'll be glorified in his death. So you have Jesus giving his life as the sacrifice. But in that sacrifice, the glory of God is revealed. I've referred to this before, but um, I think one of the most helpful kind of visual illustrations of this is the way that that Rembrandt, the famous uh, Dutch painter, uh, paints the crucifixion. Uh, he does this actually with many of the life uh, events in the life of Jesus, like uh, the stilling of the storm is another famous one, where around Jesus is, is darkness. The world is, is under this thick darkness, and yet the light shines upon what Jesus is doing. Right? So the cross itself is illuminated. Because that is the glory of God. What sacrifice had to be made first? Again, as we were talking about a minute ago, verse 8, or verse 7, really. Yeah, Aaron has to uh, offer his calf of sin offering for himself first. And what did he do with the blood of the sin offering? Now, this is a little unique compared to the ones that we've been studying. He dips his finger in the blood, puts it on the horns, that's the four corners of the altar and pours the rest at the base of the altar. What sacrifice was made next? Then, verse 12, the burnt offering, right? For Aaron. And what did Aaron do with that blood? Again, he sprinkles it all around the altar. So not only is Aaron himself atoned for, but actually even the altar of sacrifice is atoned for. It's covered in that blood. Made holy, if you like. Why did Aaron's sacrifice, sacrifices for himself need to be made first? Very similar, like we were saying, why does the pastor commune first? First, he needs to be cleansed, forgiven, made holy, in order then to handle the holy things. All right, what's then the third offering? That's the sin offering for, for the people, right? The people's offering, you see that in verse 15? Aaron killed the goat and offered it for sin. Did Aaron offer these things in the prescribed way uh, because he wanted to be obedient or was it because of faith? Yeah, he did this. He did this in faith, trusting in the word um, of the Lord. Faith in the word of God. What did Aaron do to bless the people? See this in verse 22. Yeah, the Aaronic benediction, he lifts his hands, right? 
Um, and what form did Aaron make when he, uh, when he lifted his hands? So think about it. If he puts up his hands on both sides to bless them, I do it both ways with one hand sometimes, making the sign of the three fingers, sign of the cross this way, but with both hands out, which you can't see, yeah, it looks like a cross. He makes the image of the cross with his hands uplifted. All right. Then uh, what did Moses and Aaron do next? Verse 23, they went into the tabernacle of meeting. And what happened when they came out? Yeah, they blessed the people. And then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. How is this paralleled in the life of Jesus, or namely in his, in his death and resurrection? Yeah, Jesus went to the Father as the sacrifice. He was laid in the tomb. When he came forth from the tomb, he blessed, he blessed his disciples in the resurrection. Feed my sheep. Yeah. Go and make disciples. Many words of blessing. Uh, what happened in verse 24? Pretty cool. The fire, right, came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat. Yeah, we see this repeated again later um, in the way that uh, Elijah calls for the Lord to bring fire down upon his sacrifice. The one covered with water. You remember the prophets of Baal? I think we studied that last year. Right? First Kings 18. And what did the... Or how did the people react? <laughs> they shouted. We should say shouted for joy <laughs> and fell face down in worship. All right. Maybe you think they shouted in fear, but I think they shouted in joy. God accepted their sacrifice. The blood of the sacrifice was essential for the people to see the glory of God. Without the blood, the glory of God would kill them. But when they looked at the glory through the blood of the sacrifice, then they could behold the true glory of the Lord, that is, his compassion and forgiveness. So also the glory of the Lord is revealed only in the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Aaron lifted his arms in blessing, so our Lord lifted his arms in blessing from the cross. He became sin off the sin offering and entered the most holy place with his own blood, Hebrews 9, that he might reveal to us the glory of his Father's love. As Moses and Aaron left the tent of meeting and blessed the people, so our Lord came forth from the tomb after the sacrifice to bestow the blessing of forgiveness of sin upon the whole world. The fire has burst out from the Father and devoured his own Son at the cross, that we might not be burned with his wrath, but instead be showered with the cooling waters of baptism. We confess our catechism for this week, the fifth commandment. You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we lead sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in the fifth commandment, you teach us that the gift of life is sacred and holy and that it is to be protected from every form of murder. By the gift of your only begotten Son, you saved us from death and restored life with you. We give thanks to you for this gift 
and for the new life in Christ. Forgive us for every form of murder, for hatred, resentment, and refusing to forgive those who have sinned against us. Grant us your grace and mercy that we might let go of all grudges, sincerely forgive our enemies, and truly help and support our neighbor in every physical need. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in the Sixth Commandment, you teach us that marriage is your gift to us, where a man and a woman are brought together in love to become one flesh, and when it is your will for the receiving, or for receiving the gift of children. Thank you for this wonderful gift to us. Forgive us for every sin against marriage and the Sixth Commandment. Uphold all husbands and wives in their marriages. Give them faithfulness to your word. Teach them to live according to your will. Strengthen them to live in love for each other. And enable them to live sexually pure and decent lives in everything that they say and do as husbands and wives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. On this Thursday, we pray for the church and her pastors. We pray for missionaries. pray for all of our teachers, especially those here at St. John. We pray for deaconesses and all servants of Christ in his church. pray for the fruitful and salutary use of the blessed sacrament of the Lord's body and blood. Also pray for our first responders, doctors, nurses, and all those who work in nursing homes and hospitals. We pray for an end to all fear, anxious thoughts, and constant worry. Pray for deliverance from all pestilence, from every um, seditious act, and from all rebellion. Pray for our military and law enforcement personnel and all those serving in governmental authority. On the 17th of September, uh, we pray in Thanksgiving with those who celebrate their birthday today, uh, Maya and Mina. Also those rejoicing in their baptism, Don. Those celebrating their anniversary today, Ben and Lindsay. And in Thanksgiving, of course, for our 165th anniversary as a congregation here at St. John and for the gift of healing for Carol. We also ask the Lord grant his healing touch to those who are ill or recovering or currently receiving treatment, including Marcella, Jan, Ron, Marlene, Brad, Janet, Timothy, and Pastor Lindau, Sandy, Linda, Joan, Ken, Aaron, Roger, Steve, and Jean. We pray for those who are grieving, especially my family at the death of my aunt. Pray for those who are isolated at home, Bev, David, Willis, and Janice, Mickey. And we pray for the missions and mercy work of our church, especially for the orphan grain train and the Federowitz family. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray our collect for this week. O Lord, keep your church with your perpetual mercy. And because of our frailty we cannot but fall, keep us ever by your help from all things hurtful, and lead us to all things profitable to our salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, 
that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn for this week. I am Jesus, little lamb. I noticed that I uh, forgot to uh, open my chat window, so I missed some of your chats there. So, yes, yeah, good to have you, Rachel, Michael, um, Eileen, Chris. Michael had a question. Was the creation not completed in six days and God rested on the seventh day? That's correct. But yet a week is still a seven, seven days, right? So we, it's actually maybe a misnomer to call it six-day creation because the day of rest is actually part of that creation. Um, Yes, and then the, the next day would been, then be the eighth day, the beginning of the life of that creation. Um, I think when we talk about that eighth day theology, the eighth day being the day of new creation, of, of baptism, um, that's actually referring to Easter. So, for example, the Lord entered into, um, into the holy city on Palm Sunday, the first day of the week for them, uh, and then his, he did the work of new creation throughout the week. He rested on the seventh day, that would be Holy Saturday. And then the eighth day, the day of resurrection, is the day of the new life. And um, not in John's gospel, but I think, yeah, I think it's in Luke's gospel, where Luke's, Luke is very careful about 
marking the days each day throughout Holy Week. And then when you get to Sunday, Easter Sunday, and there forward, doesn't seem to be all that concerned. Although he does talk about like the evening and on the next day, and then it just kind of falls away and it's, there's no more days, I think. Or is it a week later? That may be John's gospel. Can't remember. But either way, yeah, the day of resurrection is the day of the new creation, the eighth day. Uh, let's see. Sure. A lot of blood. What a smell and a sight. Yeah. Um, the children here know this quite well. Many of them um, have been around animals when they're being slaughtered. Um, they know the smell of animal blood or when there's a blood draw or something like that, or you bleed out a pig. That's, that's the memory that's in my mind, um, going with my father when he was doing that once. I think only once, uh, and I had enough of it. Not, never mind the sound of these, of these pigs squealing, but um, just also just the smell. Right? All right. Yeah, so eighth day, day of the resurrection. That'd be another way, another way to put that. So good, Michael. I'm glad that worked for you. All right, Lord be with you all. And uh, we'll see you again tomorrow. Oh, and worth mentioning, if you didn't catch last evening's introduction to the book of Hebrews, uh, that's posted. You can watch it on replay. If you have any questions um, as you begin to read Hebrews to prepare for the Wednesday evening class, uh, you know, just send me a note or post it in the thread below the comments um, below the post, and uh, we'll try to address them. If not live, we can do it then. The fo- I can roll it into the following week's conversation. All right, Lord be with you all. We'll see you soon.